More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. I wondered how long it was going to take. I I genuinely wondered how long it would take. And we've gotten our answer in the last 24 hours. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. It is incredible to watch as we enter into day number three of this impeachment of a president who is not the president of the United States. He's down in South Florida. He's a civilian. He's in private life. He hasn't said a A word hasn't uttered a phrase, hasn't done any kind of a press conference or an availability, hasn't called into a to a morning show. He hasn't done any of it. And we see just in the last three days that there is a new manifestation. We are witnessing the dawn of a new era, the era of TDW. You know, Rush talked for a very long time about uh, TDS, a Trump derangement syndrome, how it was. Uh, that he was able to to drive people loony, progressives, liberals, globalists, uh, deep staters. The president of the United States, when Donald Trump was president, could make the progressives loony by his very appearance, by a, a smile, visiting with somebody, uh, uh, having a conversation. He could make them go tilt. And now what do we have in day three of the impeachment? We have TDW. We are wa- witnessing the manifestation of Trump derangement withdrawal this is what is happening he hasn't said anything since january the 20th hasn't been seen since january the 20th we're coming on almost a month here nine days from a month and they're just going batty they're doing a media stakeout down at mar-a-lago they're begging for him to say something to try to kind of move this thing because it's clear as diana dejet the congresswoman from uh, Colorado is, is presenting the case today. They're desperate for something new for the last three days, and they'll do it again today. They're going to show more video, more violence, more invective, more drama, more rioting at the Capitol. And it's the very thing that we knew about. We know about it. We watched it in real time. It's terrible. I have not come across a single solitary person who has come out and said, 
Yeah, that 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 fixed them. That that taught them a lot. Nobody, nobody supports this, and yet their entire case is built on this idea that we must accept that that was a horrible night, a horrible day, a horrible afternoon, a horrible next couple of days. All of that has to be uh, accepted. We're granting that. I, I'm willing to grant that without any kind of a problem. And and if you disagree, if you don't think that's been granted at eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two, feel free to give a call. But we grant that it was violent and horrible and terrible. The issue at hand is whether or not the president of the United States, Donald John Trump, they always like to say that at the beginning of the proceedings, uh, whether or not the president of the United States, Donald John Trump, told the rioters to go there and riot. It's apparent he didn't. He didn't say that. He said go and peacefully protest, peacefully march. In fact, we now know in the aftermath of that horrible event, that there were people that left 15 and 20 minutes before the end of President Trump's speech and, and, and were out making their way to the Capitol, going to riot. He, he, according to them, he gave the order to do it. But he was still speaking for another 15 or 20 minutes. And so this whole thing is a, it's an absolute mess. We're looking today now at video being played from January the 6th, 2021, upside down American flags and weird dragon flags and uh, Trump flags. Trump is Rambo. Uh, there again is video of the president speaking behind the podium, you know, all, all the stuff that you've come to expect. And here's what we're getting. We're getting every day. It was really, really, really bad. It was so bad. It was really bad. It was terrible. Here's how where it was bad. This is it was bad. Look at how bad this is. And yet the Trump derangement withdrawal is kicking in hard with these people. Hillary Clinton comes out in the overnight. Hillary Clinton, of all people, comes out in the overnight. And she says, well, if they if they acquit him, if they let him go, they're the co-conspirators. They're the co-conspirators. They're the co-conspirators uh, with him. Hillary Clinton should never, ever utter the phrase co-conspirator. I mean, it, it is it is so self-evident if you go back all the way to the Rose Law Firm and, and the earliest days of the scandals coming out of the, uh, the Clinton White House, the travel office, you name it, selling the Lincoln bedroom uh, right on up to, to Yowlin Charlie Tree and the, 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 the Chicom money, the pay-for-play schemes. Uh, Hillary Clinton should never utter the phrase co-conspirator. Never, ever, ever should never talk about a cover-up, a co-conspiracy, a conspiracy. She shouldn't put any of those phrases in her mouth because the fact of the matter is this is the most suspect public figure of the last 30 years. And what you're seeing from her is the Trump derangement withdrawal. She hasn't seen Trump. He hasn't tweeted. Of course he didn't tweet. You guys blew him up on Twitter. The CFO came out overnight. And said, uh, yeah, he's going to be banned. Even if he runs for president again, he's going to be banned. If he gets elected president again, he's going to be banned. And it's making them nuts. It's making them bonkers. They can't process this. They got so conditioned to waking up, laying in bed, firing up the cell phone, looking at the Twitter, looking at the morning shows, looking at the overnight stuff, and finding the next new outrage that they're stalled. See, see, this impeachment is important to the extent that it's a process playing out in the Senate. You have a House that referred it. The Senate is considering it. I do not believe the Senate will 
will convict the president for having caused the riot. We all universally condemn the riot. We all universally understand what went on there. But there is no evidence other than the president's attendance at a rally, other than the president's attendance at rallies during the campaign, before the campaign, after the campaign. But there's no evidence of him saying, take that hill. Go get them, boys. Go get them, boys and girls. He didn't do it. They want you to think he did. And they're working really hard. They're working really hard to to tug at your emotions. But let's look at something else that's at play here. Let's look at Democrat fatigue. Let's look at how for the last five and a half years, every day is the greatest outrage in the history of mankind. Every other day, Trump was Hitler. When he wasn't Hitler, he was Putin's uh, right-hand man. He was all these things. Hyperbole was the recipe du jour. And we're just seeing it. People are tired. People are exhausted by the shenanigans of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. There has got to be a limit to the outrage that people can absorb. We are like fertile land that has experienced a deluge for five years of outrage. There is no place to put that water but to watch it just run off into the river of the future. And yet they're going to keep going back to that same old trope. Look at how bad this was. Yes, it was bad, but it was really bad. Yes, it was terrible. Somebody died. People were injured. We should never see our, what do they call it, the citadel to democracy, ever destroyed like that, ever attacked like that. It's 100% wrong. But then there are some questions that are now manifesting, right? And they're not being manifest from the, the trial in the Senate. The questions are like this. If somebody, God forbid, leaps the fence at the White House, there is an overwhelming immediate response. What was the overwhelming immediate response at the Capitol? Who gave who gave that order? Who gives that order? Who says to do that? We don't know because there's never been an investigation or a hearing. As I mentioned yesterday, we, we still don't have a final, final press conference from the FBI to tell us what happened on that day. We don't know. There's the issue of the noose being erected on the Capitol grounds. We've all seen that. It's a horrifying thing to look at. There's a noose. There is a gallows and a noose being put up on the Capitol grounds. Now, if you or I drove up to a public place and began doing construction or bringing with us pieces of construction, what is the threshold for a response from law enforcement when you're constructing or putting up a gallows with a noose? What are you supposed to expect from uh, the, the properly ordained and sworn police officers out there? Where was the response? Why has Speaker Pelosi never had to answer that tough question? Why has Mitch McConnell never had to answer that tough question? Why has... Uh, Chuck Schumer never had to answer that tough question. Why not? Because it's about getting Trump, period, full stop, as they like to say on MSNBC. It's about getting him. He's to blame. Why is he to blame? Because he's always been to blame. He's been to blame since he came down the golden escalator. 
and he said he was going to secure the border, and he said a bunch of things that were just not comporting with what we wanted. So you know what? Yeah, we came in pre-outraged. And they want you to be outraged. And now they're angry that you're not outraged. And they're angry that the president's not coming out and commenting. They are furious. There is nothing like a fit denied. The fit that the progressives and the liberals are exhibiting is just not generating the sort of response from you that they want. And so as a consequence, they're going to give you another eight hours of it today. We'll document it all the way through. Certainly happy to take your phone calls as well. 1-800-282-2882. 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Witterbull, in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh Show, EIB Network. Brett Witterbull, in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh Show, 800-282-2882. This piece from Politico, Trump on path to acquittal despite stunning evidence. The more adjectives you put in there doesn't make it more convincing. I'm sorry to have to tell you that. Rand Paul engineered a strategy that put all but six GOP senators on the record saying former President Donald Trump's impeachment trial is unconstitutional. Rand Paul engineered that strategy. And even after visceral footage of the January 6th insurrection rattled fellow Republicans, he's still feeling pretty good about the Trump whip count. There will be at least 44 or more, I think, might get one or two back on acquittal, Rand Paul said in an interview. Everybody objects to that violence. Everybody is horrified by that violence. But the question is, did the president incite that? Let's talk about Rand Paul's position here for a quick second. Because Rand Paul has been on the receiving end of two acts of political violence and one near miss as it relates to political violence. Actually, I would say three Three acts of political violence and one near miss because he was in the Capitol, obviously the day of the attack by the uh, by the rioters. But you'll remember in the early part of of the presidency of Donald Trump, you had the congressional uh, baseball team targeted for assassination by somebody who was uh, admittedly a Bernie Sanders supporter who who, as he shot and attempted to murder uh, 25 members of Congress, declared that this is for health care because of the narrative that had been built over all that time, right, that that Donald Trump was going to kill your health care. The Republicans were going to kill your health care. So here came this maniac from the Midwest uh, driving in and decided he was going to try to assassinate a series of, of Congress members and nearly killed Steve Scalise. And then there was the matter of Rand Paul's demented, deranged neighbor who beat him senseless, broke his ribs. And they tried to say it was over a, a gardening dispute, but... But one would have to look at that as suspect. As I mentioned, he was there at the Capitol for the for the day of the riot. But let's not forget the tolerant progressive left the night of President Trump's acceptance speech at the White House, uh, accepting the nomination of the party and getting ready to go and and, and take on for another four years. Uh, Rand Paul and his wife were threatened within an inch of their life. Local D.C. police had to surround them and shepherd them. And he was begging for more backup because of what Antifa uh, in conjunction with BLM, was trying to do with, with Rand Paul and his wife. So he knows, he understands the power of the mob motivated by politics. He gets that. He understands that. He's lived that. Most Republicans are publicly unshakable from the hard line they've taken on their party's process argument. How could they convict on the merits after saying the Senate shouldn't even hold the trial? Well, in case you didn't look, the trial's now underway. They took a vote. The trial's underway. They can still vote to not convict. 
The dug-in GOP resistance to considering conviction illustrates the same phenomenon that has torn the party asunder for years under Trump. The former president's power over the Republican base still eclipses his political toxicity for most members of his party. Except there's a little problem with that bit of analysis. That little problem with that little bit of analysis is this. At the local party levels, at the state party levels, you're seeing mobilization take place that hasn't been seen before. That hasn't been seen before. Think about that. You've got local and state Republican parties voting to hold uh, under censure people like Liz Cheney, who comes from one of the the families of royalty in American politics, uh, who just held Bill Cassidy in contempt or in censure uh, in the Louisiana Republican Party. You go through all these different groups. What you've got is a strong connectivity from the Trump brand down beyond and around the House and the Senate and directly into the main line of the parties around the country. That's what gives them the greatest amount of fear you could imagine. What do you mean he's... He's a billionaire who's out of office, who's down in Mar-a-Lago, hasn't been seen, and still has some ability to connect with the grassroots. That, that is the proof in the pudding that they are petrified for President Trump to be acquitted because they do not want to face that local level resistance when you start moving into 22 and 2024. Let's jump out on the phones and talk to Barry uh, first up. Cottonwood Heights, Utah. Barry, welcome to the program. Brett Witterbelin for Rush Limbaugh. How you doing? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you being on for Rush, but uh, frankly, I, I've got to disagree with some things you said at the outset of the program. You described what happened at the Capitol as horrible, terrible, and sh- and I believe you said should never have happened. I I have to disagree with that because even if you go that to that point, you are suggesting that President Trump or any other person doesn't have the First Amendment right mm-hmm. to call for peaceful protests. No, that I support. I'm talking about the violence in the Capitol. I'm not talking about the president speaking. I'm talking about the riot no, itself. Just, let me let me make my point here. When any, you or anybody says what happened at the Capitol was horrible and terrible. Mm-hmm. It's by implication saying that you don't have a right to tell people that they can protest. No, you can protest. This, you, you, this, can't, you can't destroy property. The capital, mm-hmm. And when you say it was horrible and terrible, yes. you, you are supporting the left's argument, and mm-hmm. it's very apparent in the impeachment proceedings. They are arguing that maybe President Trump didn't say go riot. Maybe President Trump didn't say go go kill people and break things. He didn't. But right. what, they're, what, they're, what they are saying mm-hmm. is that he either knew or should have known that he was dealing with a powder keg, and anything he said mm-hmm. by way of implication or reading between the lines was enough to set off that powder keg. Uh, I, I would disagree because I, I mentioned in that description the fact that there was a number of these uh, folks who cut away from uh, being anywhere near the uh, near the speech from the president. And these were people who were motivated by their own desire for violence to go up there and smash through the, the barricades with the cops. Uh, the president has every right in the world to hold up a, a peaceful political rally, which is what that rally was. 
I still condemn the violence that took place in the Capitol, and I believe the vast majority of Americans join me in that condemnation. I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to have to agree to disagree, Barry, but I appreciate your phone call today. I am Brett Witterbull, sitting in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. So, you know when you, uh, when you play poker with somebody, there'll be a tell? There'll be a tell based on what they have as a hand. And, and you can kind of divine that maybe they're bluffing, maybe they don't really have what they think they have. We have a series of tells in front of us that are playing out. You have to look beyond the hearing, beyond the trial uh, of, of, of the president, this, this, this faux impeachment thing that's happening for somebody who's not the president of the United States anymore. And you have to take a good, hard look at some of the other stuff that's happening in context with that. We had Hillary Clinton invoke the phrase the co-conspirator, right? The senators will be co-conspirators if they don't play ball and convict President Trump, former President Trump, uh, for, uh, for, for, this, uh, for this crime of incitement, of inciting the riots. Well, all you have to do is look at the other cable channels and, and watch the behavior of the anchors and the anger and the frustration they have, not with, not with President Trump or lawyers or senators, but with you. With you, you people, and I don't like to use the you people phrase a lot, but you people are making them very angry. I saw earlier today at about 10 o'clock Eastern time, Stephanie Rule complaining over on MSNBC. I can't believe that the other channels aren't going wall to wall with this impeachment trial. They were talking about Mark Cuban and the national anthem yesterday. It's a shame that there are all these people that will never know the real story of this. No, we know the real story. We know the real story. We watched the real story. We watched the story unfold. We're not buying the sales pitch that you're trying to attach to the, quote, real story. But even even the Lincoln Project, give me a break. The Lincoln Project, who has more baggage, maybe, than the Clintons at this stage of the game, the Lincoln Project has unveiled, quote, mid-impeachment trial ad over targeting, or, sorry, targeting Republicans over Capitol riot. So there is not sufficient outrage built up. So the Lincoln Project comes out with a new ad Wednesday as uh, day two of the uh, former President uh, Trump uh, impeachment trial continued. Uh, Trump and his allies blaming them and their role in causing the Capitol insurrection. Oh, good. So we're doing the trial. We're trying to convince people. We're not convincing people there. So now let's put out phony ads. Let's put out some phony fake Political ads, exactly the thing people do not want to see right now on February 10th and 11th, 2021, when they're unemployed, the kids are not in school, gasoline is going to go up to $4 a gallon under Biden, and general misery is setting in because uh, the Biden administration's killing jobs in the Midwest and opening the border for whoever wants to come. So let's run political ads, especially those people in Georgia must just be absolutely desirous of political ads being on TV again. Boy, did I enjoy all those political ads running throughout the Christmas holidays and into the new year. Right, That was just dynamite stuff. And so in the ad, which runs just over a minute in duration, the anti-Trump GOP group, they're not Republican. They call themselves the anti-Trump GOP group. They're, they're just they're, these are just mercenaries. Calls for justice for Officer Brian Sicknick, who died as a result of the Capitol riot. In the Capitol Rotunda, the remains of a brave man rest in a place of honor. The video begins. He died a hero. And now Brian Sicknick deserves justice. Sicknick died the day after the Capitol attack from injuries suffered while trying to protect the building and its occupants from a violent mob. Following his death, he was granted the rare distinction of lying in honor in the Capitol Rotunda. 
The ad blames Trump and his allies for inciting the riot that caused Sicknick's death and various other injuries. The mob was, quote, fed a diet of lies that resulted in the January 6th insurrection. And now those who should be held accountable are trying to escape responsibility. Who are those? Who are the those that should be held accountable? They're, they're, they're trying to say it's uh, Trump, right, obviously. But who else? Uh, of course, Rudy Giuliani, Josh Hawley, Kevin McCarthy, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Fox News, Newsmax, One America. They're all to blame. This tells you they know this is not selling. And oh, by the way, that's not even the most important Lincoln Project story uh, going right now. The most important Lincoln Project story going right now is, uh, did you guys know Weaver was a predator? And how long did you know that? And, and, and not say anything about that, because I'll tell you what you have. You have the main principals, Steve Schmidt and, and Rick Wilson. And uh, who's the other one? Oh, George Conway. I mean, they literally they could put. Uh, hands over the eyes, hands over the mouth, hands over the ears. Saw nothing, heard nothing, said nothing. And now people are starting to ask tough questions. AP is asking tough questions. Hey, where did your money go? Why is it that principals inside the Lincoln Project who raised $39 million had those dollars then funneled into groups that they controlled? Uh, if I'm the Lincoln Project, I'm going to go I'm gonna go disappear for a little bit. I'm going to go hide for a little bit because the last thing you all need is a big, giant... Hollywood premier Klieg light lighten you up and showing everybody what it is you stand for. If there was confidence in this impeachment, you wouldn't have a commercial like this drop. You wouldn't have anchors on the networks like Anderson Cooper uh, declaring that that what happened at the Capitol was the Rwandan genocide where a million people died along ethnic lines. That's how you know that that their wheels are spinning and they're not getting the traction that they desperately want. It's, it's, it's as apparent as the nose on, on, on anybody's face. In fact, in just a little bit, I'm going to give you an example of something that actually did happen that the progressives, that the progressives told you didn't happen, even though there is irrefutable proof. And it led to an outrage and, quite frankly, in large measure, to the election of President Trump. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh. Proud to be here. 800-282-2882. Let's head on over to Joan in Plant City, Florida. Joan, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, good afternoon. Um, thank you for taking this call. Yes, I've been a um, listener for uh, since the 80s, mm-hmm. and I want to just say um, that our prayers remain with our dear um, Rush, um, what a patriot he's been, when we always needed truth, which we're, we're needing today, because we're fighting a spiritual warfare good against evil. Mm-hmm. God bless America. God bless um, Rush. God bless Trump. We have got to get off of the same lyrics that everyone is following. We have got to get to the truth of the matter. Let's hold account, make Pelosi and the Democrats be mm-hmm. held accountable for all this evil that they allowed to happen mm-hmm. to destroy that day of the 6th, mm-hmm. that we were going to try to bring forth truth. That's right. We had a rally that all of us, I mean, me included, I would have loved to have been there. Sure. We would have been there to help to bring about, to, 
truth of the matter of that everyone knows and that we're hearing more and more of, like on stations of OAN, Newsmax, uh, Hannity, we know the truth. Why can't we get around and stop being, um, you know, mesmerized by what everybody else is talking about and move on and make these people accountable for not having in place the security that was needed that yep. they knew of. They mm-hmm. knew that these people were there with bombs and had set it up mm-hmm. weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. And why did they not have the proper security? Why did they hold people back from coming in that were the policemen that was uh, that they, they knew that they should be there, but they were told to stay home. Mm-hmm. Now, they knew that these people were there. Why aren't we bringing that forward and making them accountable for all of the lies and the thievery that they should be held accountable for? We shouldn't be dumbed down by all of their jargon. That yeah. We constantly repeat, mm-hmm. repeat mm-hmm. the same jargon they're repeating. Move on and make them accountable. What? Because they are accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened? We haven't heard about any of the lives of the people that were arrested. The veteran that was just killed, we don't even know yep. anything about her at right. all. Right. And all of these people were there to do good. Okay, so they were snagged by these people that so, were trying to take right. down Trump and his rally. Right. I understand, I understand okay. your frustration. Joan, I understand your frustration. But the fact of the matter, using the term that this is a horrible thing that happened on that day, I'm not going to surrender I'm not going to surrender the outrage to the progressive left so that they can say it was a horrible thing and that the implication being that we don't think it was a horrible thing. We think it was a horrible thing as well. We think it was a horrible thing for a number of reasons. The fact that there wasn't an adequate response, that there wasn't adequate security, that there wasn't adequate uh, uh, care taken to, to secure the capital. Capital doesn't belong to Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy. It belongs to us. That was our House of Representatives. And our Senate that was attacked in a violent fashion, number one and number two. And now they've covered it in razor wire and steel gates. That's because they don't want to hear from the American people when we disagree on the upcoming minimum wage decision to to increase to 15. When we disagree on immigration policy, climate policy, that is to keep them um, uh, insulated from the American people expressing our opinions. Why else would you have steel gates around that complex and then 15,000 National Guard troops out on the grounds? That, that to me, I, 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 I give no quarter to Nancy Pelosi. I give no quarter to, to the uh, swamp creatures there at, at the Capitol. But I, I will not walk into their silly little trap of saying, oh, it wasn't that bad of a deal. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. It was a huge deal, and it was a huge deal perpetrated by criminals. And conservatives are not in league with criminals. Conservatives supported the cops uh, for the better part of, 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 of 50 years in this country, defended the cops, law enforcement, those folks who were cowering and begging for the cops to come. This is the first time they've shown any affection for cops uh, in, 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 in months. Uh, in months, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't say police officers. Uh, you had you had high profile Democrats who were saying abolish the police, defund the police, abolish ICE, defund ICE. And so I will not surrender that piece of turf when it comes to standing with the cops, standing with law and order. Donald Trump was about law and order, and he called for a peaceful protest. He didn't call for a riot. 
That's their wish coming true in their minds. And that's why I say they've got Trump derangement withdrawal, because even when he doesn't say anything, they work themselves into a lather. Great call, Joan. Call back anytime. And wonderful words for Rush. He is an American icon, an American hero, and a great American original. I'm Brett Winterbull. It is the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. And I am Brett Winterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh Show. 800-282-2882. And in, in, in just a little bit, I'm going to share with you one time when we all got gaslit by the media and, of course, by the uh, progressive movement out there. But uh, I want to go back out on the phones and continue this uh, amazing conversation with the smartest listeners in all of radio. And we go to Terry in Lake City, Florida. Terry, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And prayers to uh, to Rush. Amen. You're doing a great job, sir. Thanks. Um, I work in the prison system, and I don't think American people know this, and I wanted to share this with Rush's peop, uh, listeners, is that the stimulus checks are being given and issued to prisoners throughout the country. Florida alone in one week got 5,000 checks to inmates, even inmates on death row and life sentences. Wow. They don't. They do not contribute to our country and our taxes, yet our taxes pay to take care of them, and that is really irritating me. Um, how is the money actually getting to the inmates? Is it is it coming in on a on a card? I mean, I know I know that in prisons there there are commissaries, there are things that you can use to spend money on, but how are they actually receiving uh, the, the, these payments in the prisons? Uh, several ways. One is the check. The check will be mailed to them, and then it's sent to. Uh, to sent the central office, and then it's distributed into their accounts. Wow. And you said that there are even people on death row getting these checks as well? Yes, sir. All across the country. All across the country. It all started in California when they filed a lawsuit, yep. and the judge there gave the, because the wording says all Americans will get the stimulus check, they are considered Americans. Yeah, it's a story that goes back to October of uh, this past year. Prisoners are entitled to COVID-19 stimulus funds. And uh, what happened is, is exactly what you said. A California federal district judge got involved in this because um, uh, the federal government was trying to stop the inmates from getting these checks, getting access to these uh, funds. And a federal district judge out of California, they're always out of California, uh, ruled that the Internal Revenue Service must send stimulus payments of $1,200 to the one and a half to two million state and federal inmates eligible for the relief. I mean, this is this this is right here. This is right here, capital letter A, number one, for why we need to write these uh, stimulus packages down to the letter of the... I mean, just it, it, there is no reason why you should get $100 million going to 85,000 inmates. That's absurd. That is, that is, that is absurd. I, I do appreciate you uh, filling us in on this, Terry. Uh, Terry is correct. I just I double-checked it. It's in uh, it was in the USA Today, did some coverage on it. A couple of other uh, newspapers did as well. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, how what do, what do you do with the check? If you get the check and it comes to you, you endorse it, you mail it back to your family and then they they cash it. Uh, how does how does this how does this work? It goes into my jail account. So 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 I can. OK, so I can get a haircut. I can get uh, uh, cotton swabs. I, I can get, go to the commissary. Now, you know what you know what's going to end up happening, right? Is I'm going to go buy, I'm going to get a corner on the market for potato chips and pruno, and now I got a now I got an alternate currency. See, I got currency now. 
And you know what that money is getting used for, right? You under, people understand what that money is getting used for. It, it's getting used not for the intent uh, of, of the stimulus. You are getting stimulated, but it's a different kind of stimulated. It is not the sort of stimulus or the stimulated that you would hope people would get. Because I, I, I have to believe it's going into to fuel the, 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 the drug, uh, the drug dealing that goes on out in our country. Uh, I believe it has to probably, you know, th- that money comes in very handy if you were to have to, say, green light a rival with a hit. You, you, you could get some extra. Co- well, you know, the condoms are very handy in prisons because they ferment the pruno in the condoms down in the toilet. I, I mean, I've I've watched enough uh, documentaries and locked up uh, sorts of things uh, there on the on the cable channels. I've seen that. I've seen that, Bo. I, I know. I understand. Uh, I'm a I'm a worldly man to a certain extent from a distance safely at home. But, you know, you get that money. You know what else you could do? You get a little extra privileges. You bribe the guard. I'm not saying the guards are, you know, going to take bribes, but you could bribe the guards. And then, of course, go back in your mind. One of the great scenes of all time, Goodfellas, when they're, when they're cooking the big Italian meal, you got, the, you got the lobsters, you're getting cell phones. You know, you, you, if, you, if you start playing your cards just right and you get access to that computer in the day room, you might be able to get some Bitcoin or GameStop. That's possible. It's unbelievable. This is a great story. We're going to dive deeper into this and so much more straight ahead. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. We've got to talk about this Gina Carano situation, getting axed by Lucasfilm because of her commentary on the modern political climate. She's a huge store, uh, st- store. She's a huge star. I'm still thinking about the stimulus checks going inmates. Just a huge star. And she is uh, she has been canceled because of her opinions on her social media page. I mean, this is this is just so outrageous. I am Brett Witterbull uh, in for Rush Limbaugh on the uh, Rush Limbaugh show on the EIB network. Eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. It's just to me, it's this is just absolutely insane and absurd. Uh, how long how long have uh, how long have conservatives been called Nazis? Hmm. We'll talk about it. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough. 
that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Wonderful to be here today on this uh, auspicious occasion of uh, day number three of the impeachment push against the former president of the United States, a an impeachment push that will not be successful. But nevertheless, we will soldier on and we will continue to monitor the goings on from Washington, D.C. But there's an incredible battle going on inside the culture in the United States and really beyond the United States. And it has to do with labels. It has to do with labels. You know, the person that controls the labeling uh, mechanism in a culture is, is a very powerful person indeed. And unfortunately, in our culture, in the United States of America and Western society more broadly, but let's stay focused right here in the U.S., uh, the people that control the labels are, are the purveyors of the popular culture. Hollywood, Silicon Valley, woke corporations, universities, you name it. So they get to define the terms of engagement when it comes to politics. Uh, that much is abundantly clear. And I go back to the, the late days of President Trump's administration as he was transitioning uh, out, out of the uh, presidency. And I think about the calls from people who are respected by the establishment, um, people who are on cable news programs, people who write columns in places like the Washington Post. You know, democracy dies in darkness. And, and I think about the people who came together, people like uh, Jennifer Rubin comes to mind, right? There's somebody who comes to mind. And what were they doing? Remember, they were making lists. They were making lists. We must document the Trump enablers, the Trump supporters, put them on this list so that they can be appropriately denied certain rights, opportunities, protections, what have you. And at that moment, people of goodwill... Uh, clear thinking people thought that that was a terrible idea. But you now have the Trump Accountability Project. It's an operation in Washington, D.C. and around the country in which you have people gathering together, uh, recording and reporting incidents of people who supported Trump. They put them on the list so that if they apply for a job or, or they decide they want to be part of some social fabric event, that they will be denied. Well, as pernicious as that is, and as as maddening as that is, Hollywood has this down to a science, an absolute science. If you in any way, shape or form, look to the right, lean to the right, think about the right, you may find yourself put out of work permanently. Before I, I came to Charlotte. I was in California for a lot of years. I was in, uh, in Los Angeles in, in, in Southern California uh, for, for about uh, 15 years. And I had so many friends that worked uh, in Hollywood who were actually conservatives, 
who actually didn't have social media pages, or if they did, they had alias social media pages. They didn't tell people, but for those that they knew incredibly well and who who felt the uh, the, the joint uh, effort. Uh, to be conservative or be leaning conservative. They didn't tell anybody what their politics were because they knew that they would be denied employment. Can you imagine being a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer, and being denied employment because you're conservative? Well, in Hollywood, that's just that's just the rules of the road. That's just called Wednesday. That's just called Tuesday. And and we've seen it over time. You know, rules for for thee, but not for me. If you are progressive, you can say the most hateful, awful, ugly things things imaginable. If you're a conservative and you, and you express a, an opinion that's outside the orthodoxy, the, the defined or, orthodoxy, uh, you, you can be destroyed and denied employment. Well, an interesting thing happened in the last uh, 24 hours or so. One of the stars of The Mandalorian, you know that from Disney+, Plus, part of the uh, Star Wars uh, franchise uh, stuff, uh, one of the big stars... Gina Carano got fired after a tweet that she had put out that was really sourced from somebody else. And it was a a tweet about the Holocaust and lessons from the Holocaust looking forward. And, and yet another Mandalorian star used the same sort of imagery and argument from the left and still has his job. Disney cut ties this week with conservative actress Gina Carano, one of the stars of the Lucasfilm hit TV series The Mandalorian, on Wednesday. The alleged cause of the firing was a series of posts Carano made on social media that critics claimed were offensive. As the Daily Wire reported, the post that generated the most controversy was a screenshot of another person's post that she then posted onto her Instagram account. The Post compared the currently politically divisive culture in the United States to Nazi Germany. So here's what the screenshot said. These are the words of the screenshot uh, that she took the picture of and then posted on her page. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews. The government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? That's the post she put up. Now, Lucasfilm, which is owned by Disney, announced in a statement that Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, that there are no plans for her to be in the future. So she's gone now and will not be brought back. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Now, we can debate the content of her post. We can debate what it is she she copied and put onto a, a, a page. And sure, we can even understand that when you are in the creative arts, when you are in media, entertainment, what have you, uh, there are any number of stipulations that can be put on on you in a contract, uh, moral turpitude or, or, or any other thing like that, that that can be used against you to, to, to terminate your employment if you step out of that agreement with a with a company. Right. And you sign that contract. Now you're going to be bound by that contract. But here's the problem. Is it is it the Holocaust imagery? 
Is it the discussion of of what it was that happened inside Germany, say from 1932 coming up into 1938, uh, to create the 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 context by which Jews could be rounded up by the Nazis and sent to concentration camps and and murdered by that horrible National Socialist regime run by Adolf Hitler? I mean, is it is it is it the the history line? Is it the comparison to political views? And an, and, an, uh, and a religious identity. Well, we, we, we don't know because there was no discussion that was had. It was posted she was fired. But social media also noted that another actor starring in The Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal, had also made a reference to the Holocaust. But no action was taken by, by Disney. Back on June 20th, 2018, Pascal posted two images one of a concentration camp in Germany in 1944 and another of immigrant children in cages that suggested was taken in 2018. It was hashtagged, hashtag, this is America. The tweet followed the screenshot. So you have a screenshot of Jews interned there in the uh, in, 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 in Nazi Germany behind barbed wire in the uniforms that the Nazis forced them uh, to wear. And it compared that image to the kids in cages in June of 2018. And so Pedro Pascal, who goes by the uh, pronouns, he, him, says they're right there on his on his on his page. Um, this is America, Germany, 1944, America, 2018. By the way, after the November election in which Joe Biden defeated President Trump, Pascal reportedly posted on Instagram a comparison between Trump supporters and actual Nazis. So so you have uh, from a Mr. He him, Mr. Uh, Pascal, you have a, a, an image that says losers in 1865, the Confederate flag, losers in 1945, the swastika, losers in 2020, the make America great again, red hat. So so the difference between Pascal's outspoken leftist political perspective and Carano's conservative, I mean, there's a side by side comparison about using the imagery and the argument. But you see, if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, if you're somebody who's out of the mainstream of the culture, then you're a Nazi. And they can call you a Nazi and they can put you on a list and they can deny you employment and they can shut your business down and they can do any number of things. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's fair game. But if you are are using the Nazi imagery to target conservatives, to target conservative presidents, to target uh, uh, perceived uh, opponents of yours that you have now assigned all of these values to, then you get to skate scot-free. So in response to Carano's firing, critics noted how Disney also rehired a director that had been fired over disturbing sexually explicit tweets, Disney business dealings in communist China and other controversies that the company has faced in recent years, that according to the Daily Wire. So... So what you're saying is that Gina Carano gets fired for the copying of an image that was posted on a page as part of a discussion or as part of an argument she's making on political correctness, but that what she posted is worse, is worse than a director who published questionable sexually explicit imagery, and it's worse than somebody claiming that America is right in league with the Nazis— and that Trump supporters are in league with not just Nazis, but the Confederates in 1865, despite the fact that the Republican Party was founded 
as a party abolition of slavery and was not a Confederate property. Are we clear on this? Well, we're not clear on this yet because we add to this the fact that we're now in a position where there's a push afoot to try to figure out what's going on with white supremacy in the country. And as Eddie Scarry writes over in the Washington Examiner, he says, admit it, liberals, you have no idea what white supremacy is. We'll dive into that straight ahead, plus taking your phone calls as well at 800-282-2882. Lots on the table. It is great to be here. In for Rush Limbaugh, I am Brett Witterbull on the EIB Network. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. A uh, important point to note about Mr. Pedro Pascal, that uh, coming in uh, from Matt Walsh out there uh, tweeting, uh, tweeting out the fact that not only did Pedro Pascal, an actor on The Mandalorian, compare the United States and Nazi Germany, but he also did so with a photo of, quote, America in 2018. That is not actually from 2018, the kids in the cages, and also not actually, actually from America, and he still has his job. So there we have it, and that's a, a hat tip uh, uh, going out to... Uh, uh, Cubby Blue Boo over there on on Twitter who who pointed that uh, fact out uh, over to me. Let me go back out on the phones. I, I do want to further develop this, but this this call is going to be a perfect way to do this. Sheila is in Racine, Wisconsin. Sheila, welcome to the program. Brett Waterbull in for Rush. Oh, hi, Brett. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Um, I have a qu- not a question. I have a comment regarding this impeachment. Sure. Not only is it utterly ridiculous. Um, But, you know, President Trump was an ordinary person who didn't need to become president to become rich. He was already rich. President Trump made me feel like an American. Mm -hmm. He made me feel like he was doing things for our country. And I believe the only reason they are going ahead with this impeachment is because he became so close, dangerously close to exposing the corruption in government that they had to do something, and this was their final ditch. And I also also think it's appalling for what you just said earlier about Hillary Clinton putting her two cents in about conspiracy right. theories when her middle name is corruption. Yeah. And I think, and, and what is your view on this, I believe that what they're doing to Donald Trump right now is mm. the very same thing they did to Ken, Scar, Ken Starr after Bill Clinton's own impeachment, they are going to try to destroy him. Yes. And I think a lot of people are seeing this, and I hope a lot of people are really starting to notice that the tides are changing. I used to be a Democrat, but now I'm a Republican because the Democratic Party doesn't stand with what I stand right. for. And I, I think this impeachment is really going to bring that forward. And, and like I said, um, Donald Trump, I think, was the best thing ever happened for our country. He made me feel proud to be an American. That's good to hear. Sheila, I appreciate you being out there as a caller. Very kind with your comments. And I appreciate you checking in today. So so let's unpack what, what she's saying. Essentially, this is about turning President Trump into an example. We're going to make an example of a person who doesn't come up through the approved ranks in the system, in the swamp. And we're going to send a message. What happens when you decide you think you're going to take over the presidency of the United States without the assent? And I don't mean climbing, but the assent, meaning the uh, the approval of the establishment. Uh, Chuck and Nancy and the cable bosses and the big tech and the Hollywood types, they need to sign off on anything like this. And 
isn't it interesting? The argument could be made that there's an attempt to cancel uh, a President Trump from running in 2024. They want to get a conviction and then bar him from running from the future because they want to send a message. And the message is being sent not necessarily to President Trump. It's being sent to you. You see, th- this is this is the fundamental component of this story we're talking about with with Carano and, and, and the Mandalorian. See, you have to take out people. And I mean that politically. I don't mean that in, in, in a kinetic, violent uh, way. You have to take people out to send a message to the rest of the people that you better not try it. You better not try to do what they just do. You better not try to be Donald Trump uh, part two. You better not try to be a populist. You better not use the phrase make America great again. Think about the arc of President Trump's uh, time in office, his administration. Uh, First, it was the escalator and then it was the rallies and then it was the red hats. And if you wore a MAGA hat, that meant that you were a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or an Islamophobe or a xenophobe or any one of the uh, you know, the deplorable uh, baskets that Hillary talked about. What they tried to do was hem you in more and more. Same way they did with the Tea Party. The same way they did with Reagan in 1980. Uh, don't you dare be a religious conservative. Don't you dare try to tell me that God belongs to one party. Don't you dare. You need to stop all that. Rather than advancing an agenda, they want to trim and hem, trim you back and hem you in. And so the message was sent to Carano. They said, okay, well, we're going to fire you. Anybody else have any funny opinions they want to share with anybody? Oh, Pedro Pascal, yeah, you're, you're all good. You're all good because you're on the right side of the argument here. Goes back to that Jennifer Rubin analogy I used. We're keeping a list. Why are you keeping a list? We're keeping a list to hold people to account. To hold people to account for what? For how they voted? For opinions they have? You're going to edit me in real time as a human being because what? I want lower taxes. I want schools to work. I don't want to be a plaything of the communist Chinese. Like, what are you what are you doing to me here? How is this working? So you get to the issue of now white supremacy. White supremacy is going to be the next thing, the big thing that comes after the impeachment. When the impeachment doesn't work, now you have to turn the cannons fully against, politically speaking, fully against the people who supported Donald Trump. And as uh, Eddie Scarry notes over at the Washington Examiner, admit it, liberals, you have no idea what white supremacy is. Liberals have no clear definition of the phrase white supremacy. It's just something used to convey a deep-seated hatred for anyone who doesn't vote Democrat, but sometimes they use it in ways that reveal how meaningless the phrase is for them to begin with. Rutgers University. Rutgers University has a president, Jonathan Holloway, who wrote Wednesday in an op-ed for The New York Times about the left's favorite fantasy that to be a Trump supporter, especially one who was in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, is to be a white supremacist. Does that include a, 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 a black supporter of Donald Trump who was in D.C. on that day? Or a Hispanic supporter or an Asian supporter? Does that make you a white supremacist as well? Well, this college professor says yes, and we'll fill you in on that straight ahead. It is a uh, it is an insightful, interesting little tale. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. And we are uh, unpacking this this notion of white supremacy, what it is, how it manifests. And we were uh, just uh, quoting uh, Jonathan Holloway, the president of Rutgers University, writing uh, Wednesday, that's today, uh, in an op-ed for the New York Times, that's yesterday, I'm sorry, uh, about the left's favorite fantasy to be a Trump supporter, especially one who was in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, is to be a white supremacist. 
Many of the insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol on January 6th were driven by a belief they were acting in accord with the principles fashioned at the birth of the country, that their protest embodied America's long history of patriotic rhetoric about freedom and citizenship, and that in this they are at least partly right. Such rhetoric has been used time and time again by white supremacists. It's at least a familiar narrative, even if it is dumb, notes Eddie Scarry over at the uh, Washington Examiner. For liberals, reverence for the flag and saying things like make America great again is indicative of white supremacy. They've been spouting that for the last six years. But but thereafter, Holloway dives off the deep end, referring to the right-leaning men's group Proud Boys as one of the latest iterations of white nationalism. Holloway may have missed it, but the leader of the Proud Boys is a Latino named Enrique Tarrio. The group as with many right-leaning activist organizations, has many non-white members. One prominent member, uh, Tulsi Tala Tiny Tose, is of Polynesian descent. Even the left-wing Berkeley Center for Right-Wing Studies. Can you believe? I think about this. There's a Berkeley Center for, quote, right-wing studies. What is the? Uh, what do they call the Berkeley Center for Left-Wing Studies? Oh, just Berkeley. Uh, they note that the Proud Boys retain significant membership of people of color. The Proud Boys are led by a Latino and are acknowledged to have significant membership of people of color, but the New York Times allows Holloway to call it a white nationalist group. It's the same paper that employs a writer who just days ago wrote a piece calling for the Biden administration to create a, quote, reality czar. rest of Holloway's column is, with great originality, how about uh, we as a country don't appreciate the full history of slavery enough? The endless series of Oscars that go to movies about that exact subject Every single year is apparently not enough appreciation, says Eddie Scarry. But why are we supposed to take any of it seriously when he, like other liberals, is so careless with whom he calls a white nationalist? But it's a label. See, you've heard it from Russia a million times. Conservatives traffic in ideas. Conservatives engage in the commerce of ideas. Conservatives go with with vision and plans and things like that. You have identity on the other side of that argument. Identity. What box do you check on the form? How many boxes do you check on the form? The more boxes you check, the more you are valued. The fewer boxes you check, the less you are valued. It's not about what's in your heart and in your mind. Let's be honest. For, for much of the progressive agenda, it, it covers everything from, uh, from the breastplate to the lower back. That's about it. Sexual orientation, identity, and, 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 of course, uh, the, the, the way you use your reproductive organs, there's, there's no concern for the mind or the vision or the heart of a person. We just reduce it to the most basic, basic levels of existence. Joe is up next. Uh, Joe uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome to the program, Joe. Yeah, hello. Thank you, dittos, and all the best to Rush, obviously. Absolutely. I'd like to know your take on a conversation I had with a leftist out of Chicago, coincidentally, oddly. Um, he told me that President Trump, well, he called him Trump, he refuses to say President Trump, mm-hmm. said the word fight in his speech, and then some fighting ensued. Yeah. Um, so therefore, President Trump is responsible for all of that violence and belongs in jail. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I immediately responded with, the uh, University of Notre Dame has a slogan called the Fighting Irish. Sure. So does anybody who has ever supported Notre Dame and then has ever gotten in a fight after hearing those words, is Notre Dame also culpable 
in um, <laughs> the fighting that took place. You could just well, well, I, well, look, let's be honest, right? You have you have the fighting Irish. We know that Ireland is is made up primarily of white people. Uh, they're Catholic. Uh, they're Irish. They're Catholic. I, I happen to be. Uh, Catholic and part Irish, so it's, I could say that. Um, but no, the word fighting—the word fighting—is a universal term. It's an exhortation used every political campaign by everybody who's running for office. I'm going to fight for you. We're going to fight crime. We're going to fight for this. We're going to fight pollution. What is it that they're trying to do with global warming and climate change right now? What is it the thing that that, that uh, AOC always says? They're going to fight climate change. <laughs> fighting. Is not people are way too smart. They are way too smart to pull this nonsense off like these progressives. Oh, you said fighting, so of course that means fighting. Uh, apparently, that word has only been uttered by Donald Trump once at a rally, and it's never been used in every political campaign commercial that there has been since the dawn of time. It's it's insane. Victoria's in St. Louis. Next up, uh, Victoria, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk about the word white supremacy. We're finding this word coming up in our school district and what my, my daughter is learning in school. And I think the majority of Americans hear that term and think, oh, that's the KKK. Mm-hmm. No such thing. It refers to the average American who happens to have pale skin color. At least that is what the, the schools, my daughter's in a public school, mm-hmm. that is what the schools are teaching our children. And what they mean by that is every institution, every system in America was made by white people for pe- for white people in mm-hmm. their terms. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's white supremacy. And they want to tear that down. They've given me examples. Of, that means the banking industry, housing policies, education, how, mm-hmm. how educational textbooks are written. They're written by white people for white people. Um, and And I just... We're seeing this on the websites. I'm seeing bumper stickers, dismantle white supremacy. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about the KKK. They're talking about average people, and they are teaching this in the school systems. Um, and what the school system wanted us to acknowledge was whether we believed in systemic racism. We've had multiple conversations because we object to this. Right. They wanted us to acknowledge, do we believe in systemic racism? Because then that will give them the green light to go ahead and dismantle every system, every institution that we know as American. And it gives them the green light to teach this to our kids day in and day out. My daughter's English class every day since January is about critical race theory, white, mm-hmm. uh, white supremacy, white privilege. She has a wheel of privilege, wheel of power, where so many of her attributes the skin color she's born with, she's English-speaking, she's mm-hmm. cisgender, she's heterosexual, create power for her. And, and she can't change those things. That's How right. is she supposed to feel about herself? This it, is, it, I don't know what to do. Are, is, this, is this the public school system? It is the public school system. I have to say, my daughter's in seventh grade. This is the fifth school that she's been in, uh, K through 12. We've been in the parochial school system. We've been in the um, high-priced independent school system, paying Mm -hmm. over $25,000 a year per pupil. Right. And it's there as well, maybe because we're close to Ferguson. We're about 20 minutes away from Ferguson. I I don't know. It's everywhere. Well, here's, here's what's happening, and it's important for people to understand where this comes from, because it's not these are not teachers coming up with this. These are district administrators, the heads of public instruction. And where this is coming from is this is the the university system. 
Okay, it comes out of the university system. That that's the most important thing you can get a hold of is the education departments at a university system. Because if conservatives ever got a hold of, of of education departments at universities, you'd actually be able to teach about free market economics and that sort of stuff, and and you would transform the country. But the left understands the value, the importance of controlling that. Bill Ayers. Uh, was was the head of the University of Illinois Chicago's School of Education. He trains future teachers, and that's that's what's going on here. These are where the curricula come from, and so it's it's incumbent upon us to recognize what it is that's happening. Really, the only thing you can do, I mean, you can band together with your friends, you can raise alarm, you can complain at the school boards, but what you're going to have to do is do something that most people don't have to do till they till till their kids get to college, which is to counter program. You have to, you know, be honest and open with your children and explain to them what's happening, what the motivation is, and explain to them that the way they feel about things or what they are or who they are um, is, 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 you can't change being a white, you can't go from being a white person to a non-white person. You know, that's just, that's how you're born. You can't change that. Um, and I think it's important for you to, to counter-program that at, at, the, at the kitchen table, at home. It's 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 such a vitally important thing or maybe consider a homeschooling situation, which I know is not ideal for most parents. But nevertheless, this is going on in a lot of places, in a lot of places. This this began in large measure coming out of California, drifted across the continental United States, and it's taken up root in many, many, many school districts. I've got more thoughts on this straight ahead. Thank you so much for the call, Victoria. I, I have true sympathy for your plight. I uh, I have seen it up close and personal myself. It's Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. That was cute. I was getting cued by uh, Bo Snerdly there. One of my favorite people on the entire planet. Bo Snerdly. Uh, I, I gotta be honest. I, it's a little my younger end of the spectrum there, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's this is this is uh, this is a it's tricky, but but nevertheless, it's wonderful to be here, and I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to sit in for Rush. And to uh, talk to the greatest audience in the history of talk radio, uh, built by the, the single greatest host in the history of of the radio medium, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it's just, it's just fact. Make sure make make sure you c- clip that and send that to him, please. I want, I want him to know that. Um, it is uh, it is terrific to be here. So, in the beginning of the program, we were talking about this idea that we all know what happened with the riot at the Capitol on January the sixth. It's It's been established that was a horribly violent act. And what we're getting from the impeachment effort of the president, who's no longer president, is essentially the constant refrain of this happened. This is a travesty. He's responsible for that. Does this name ring any sort of a bell to anybody in the audience? Jose Inez Garcia Zarate. Jose Inez Garcia Zarate, because this is going to be a tale of two tragedies. July the 1st, 2015, beautiful young woman walking with her father on the pier in San Francisco is shot and killed in broad daylight as as the bullet hits her in the chest and she goes down onto the pavement, her father stands helplessly over her in an attempt to render aid and and her final words to her father as the blood and the life leaves her body is the most heartbreaking thing you can imagine as a parent daddy help me and she died 
That was Kate Steinle. That was Kate Steinle who died in broad daylight in San Francisco. Right there at the pier. And she was killed by Jose Inez Garcia Zarate. Remember the story? He claimed he found a gun wrapped in some rags under a bench. And when he picked it up, the gun went off and it struck Kate Steinle. But he didn't remember. And he threw the gun in the water and all this other sort of stuff that got brought up as, as a part of that case. It turned out he had been deported multiple times, six, eight, ten times back to Mexico, multiple-time loser in terms of uh, felonies and crimes and those sorts of things. This story was heartbreaking. And what did the progressives do? They galvanized together to build a narrative that said she died of a gunshot wound, but nobody shot her. Mr. Zarate is being made an example because of white supremacy and your racism and your awfulness. That's why you're trying to put him in jail and then deport him. And we remember what happened because in in 2017 or 2018, a judge ruled that he didn't kill Kate Steinle. Kate Steinle died from a gunshot wound. From a gun that was in his possession temporarily, but he didn't kill her. He didn't kill her. And so nobody killed Kate Steinle. Kate Steinle just got shot on the streets of San Francisco and said as she died, Daddy, help me. This beautiful 21, 22, 23-year-old young woman with a, with a life in front of her. And the progressives from Kamala Harris to Nancy Pelosi to Dianne Feinstein to the people of California to the biggest, most well-connected public defender in the, in the state of California who defended Zarate came and said, no, that just, that just, she just got shot. We don't say he shot her. And at that time, remember, there was a bill that was attempted to be advanced, Kate's Law, And Harry Reid refused to advance it in the Senate. It would have said that if you are a deportee from the United States who has felonies, the next time you get arrested for for coming back into the country, you're going to do six, eight, ten years in a federal penitentiary before you go back. You're doing jail time. And Harry Reid said, well, we're not going to bring that up as an issue. So, So you see this. Horrible day on January the 6th where a young woman lost her life and officers were injured and officers died. And you see Kate Steinle, something that was seen with the very own eyes of her father as she died on the streets of the most liberal, progressive city in the Western world. A sanctuary city for a person like Zarate, who was allowed to roam freely. Now you tell me. Mr. and Mrs. America, who has a realistic view of the dangers in America? Nancy Pelosi's Democratic Party? Or President Donald J. Trump? 800-282-2882. A tale of reality and a fairy tale. A fake tale of nonsense. I'm Brett Witterbull, in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. Well, apparently Jack Dorsey and uh, Twitter have canceled James O'Keefe and Project Veritas off the platform over at Twitter. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. 
Let me jump out real quick and talk to Tom in Concord, California. Tom, welcome to the program. Hi, yeah. I, the, the thing that struck me about this whole January 6th ordeal, watching it on TV and kind of like thinking it was sort of a a punk show or something, mm-hmm. was uh, the complete tone deafness and the affluent arrogance of the Congress not recognizing that maybe, you know, half the country is disgruntled about what's going on. You had six months of the media proclaiming that voter fraud is a conspiracy theory and right. virtually non-existent. And if if you don't agree to get rid of all the safeguards, you're a racist. And lo and behold, somehow Biden magically wins in the middle of the night. You know, what do you, what do you expect from the American people? You know, we, you have a year of lockdowns. We yep. have all this free time. You have John Candy security guards yep. guarding the now, I get it. I, I get what you're saying, and I'm going to unpack that straight ahead. I do appreciate the call, Tom. I am Brett Witterbull, in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I think we know the game. I think we know the scope of this game. I think we know the end game. I think we know the games they're playing. Take your eyes away for a moment from the impeachment. We, we, we talked yesterday a little bit about this notion of, of 
hobbling or stopping the notion of any resistance to the Biden-Harris agenda uh, that will bring about, uh, you will soon hear, $4 a gallon gasoline and and the death of jobs and uh, productivity and, and all of that. But I think we understand what the game is. The game is to remove any question or doubt about who's in charge in this country. You will not, you will not, you may not, you must not refuse to go along. You must be, uh, you will be assimilated by the Borg, right, to, to use a, a Star Trek reference. This is what is happening. We are watching the cancel culture go into absolute stratospheric overdrive. We had the story about uh, Gina Carano being uh, fired from The Mandalorian, being fired from the Lucasfilms franchise there, and being told that she's not going to work there anymore because of a tweet she put out discussing the Holocaust and intolerance and, and, and people being targeted for their political beliefs. We also know, in very real time, in the last month, we saw the reality of Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg going out and, and tag-teaming Trump supporters— President Trump banning them from platforms, suspending them, removing them from platforms. We watched that happen. We watched the collusion with uh, AWS to knock out Parler. Parler no longer exists um, to any uh, real extent. Uh, Who knows if if it'll ever come back. John Mates lost his job. And now Twitter goes after James O'Keefe and Project Veritas for exposing Facebook censorship. This moving in the last 40 minutes, Twitter restricted journalist James O'Keefe's Twitter account, as well as that of the founding organization, uh, Project Veritas, on Thursday morning, citing a violation of rules against posting private information. Oh, but that seems like a very serious thing, right? I mean, you posted personal private information. I mean, I mean, what 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 happened? How did this happen? What occurred? Well, the decision by Twitter comes after Project Veritas is reporting on Facebook Vice President Guy Rosen saying big tech platforms intentionally freezes via algorithms comments where hate speech, quote, may be. So it's like a prescriptive, it's proactive uh, censorship in advance of you actually committing the act of, 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 a, of a violation. Project Veritas captured Rosen saying the following during a leaked internal Facebook call meeting. The clips were released on Wednesday, quote, we have a system that is able to freeze commenting on threads in cases where our systems are detecting that there may be a thread that has hate speech or violence. These are all things we've built over the past three or four years as part of our investments into the integrity space, our efforts to protect the election. The moves by big tech to silence opinions and voices they don't like are running rampant. In an announcement on February 8th, Facebook claimed it had, quote, expanded our efforts to remove false claims on Facebook and Instagram about COVID-19, COVID-19 vaccines, and vaccines in general during the pandemic. We will begin enforcing this policy immediately with a particular focus on pages, groups, and accounts that violate these rules. We'll continue to expand our enforcement in coming weeks, yada, 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 as they would say in a movie, words, words, words. On January 8th, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said in a leaked call by Project Veritas that his company would be ramping up censorship. You got to ramp up that censorship. Let's take that censorship to the next level. We know we're focused on one account right now, Trump. But this is going to be much bigger than just one account. This is going to go on for much longer than just this day, this week, the next few weeks, going on beyond the inauguration. We have to expect that. We have to be ready for that. 
The big tech collusion continues. And what does Project Veritas do? Think about it. What Project Veritas is most known for is uh, calling out organizations, institutions, and especially big media operations for their rank hypocrisy. So, of course, you would need to kneecap that operation so that Jack Dorsey didn't look foolish, so that Mark Zuckerberg didn't look foolish, so that Jeff Zucker over at CNN didn't look foolish. It's not a fair fight. It's not even close to a fair fight. It's it's political. It's political correctness, not run amok. We are well beyond run amok. This is industrial strength cancel culture. This is industrial strength cancel culture. This is a distilled, this is 150 proof cancel culture is what this is. Because if if, if you can no longer participate in any uh, robust way on social media, uh, you can't put up a YouTube video, you can't put up a a Facebook video, you can't put up a, a Twitter video, you can't post something on Instagram, you can't go to a blog, you can't do... Once you shut all those avenues down, you have taken a person and made them an unperson, to borrow uh, a George Orwell uh, analogy. And remember, remember who watches the watchers. These institutions like Project Veritas are, are only doing what Mike Wallace and 60 Minutes used to do with the sweaty, sleazy used car salesman back in the 1970s when they'd wear a, an undercover microphone and go find out why they were ripping off old ladies who were just trying to buy a, uh, a Buick. And they were celebrated for that. That's all Veritas is doing. They're going into these operations and saying, yeah, so tell us how it is you engaged in a voter fraud uh, back in that last election. Tell us what you did with all those ballots that you collected. Hey, tell us what you did to suppress the free speech. Hey, tell us what you did to suppress the information on COVID-19. Tell us what you did. If the, if the fourth estate, if the fourth estate is not willing to be the watcher, but rather wants to be the Praetorian guard for the elites... Well, we're going to have to outsource that job of watching the Praetorian Guard and the elites. I do believe we are about to hit peak uh, peak, peak censorship. The New York Times, that's a great question. When is the New York Times going to get canceled? Well, just based on the subscriptions that go out to media operations, you know, they'll stay afloat for a long time. Well, yes, they did. Yes, they did leak private information from the Trump White House and from, you know, Republicans in the know and those sorts of people. Yes, you are correct about that, but they are serving the greater good now. See, that is it's the orientation you have towards who it is that needs to be afflicted. Uh, the, the number one person that needs to be afflicted is is Donald Trump. That That's their mindset. Right. So you've got Donald Trump, Donald Trump's supporters, anybody who voted for Trump, anybody who thought about voting for Trump. Anybody who might be an ally to that Trump operation. So right there, the, the New York Times is, is going to be targeting at least 75, 80, 90 million people. That, that's just how it's going to be. So, so the New York Times is not going to get canceled, nor is the Washington Post, nor is the L.A. Times. But you see, here's here's the interesting thing. We are now living in the most technologically democratic little D uh, universe we've ever lived because you know it's going to end up happening, right? When you drive people from the social media sphere, you, you drive them to places like Telegram and Signal with encrypted communications where they get to talk to folks. You and I full well know and full well understand there are thousands of groups that exist out on Telegram. The New York Times has no way to get in there. No way to stifle the conversations. 
And so uh, the reality is people adapt and evolve based on their circumstances. But this idea that Project Veritas is so dangerous they have to be shut down. I mean, I'm sorry, wasn't it 2014? Wasn't it 2014 when when Anwar Alawaki's uh, uh, jihad recruitment videos on YouTube were finally taken down as as a servant of the of ice of ISIS? I mean, give me give me a break all day long. There is there isn't uh, there isn't a double standard. There is one standard, the standard brought forth by big tech. And that's the reality, whatever they say the standard is. Tom is in Houston. Let's go to Tom first up this hour. Tom, welcome to the program. Uh, Brett Witterville in for Rush Limbaugh. Prayers for Rush Limbaugh. Amen. And uh, what I wanted to say was, I, 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 it, it puzzles me how they they could be surprised what happened on January sixth in Washington D.C. The we've seen it happen in Portland. We saw it happen in Minneapolis, where a small group of people went in and started to destroy things. That's what happened there. I can't believe they were surprised that the window glass that they were breaking to try to enter the uh, house chamber mm-hmm. was uh, the kind of glass that you would see in a bank between a customer and a bank teller. The doors couldn't be broken through with a metal barrier. And as, as, as horrible as that was to watch, and, and, and I condemn it to the most, but, sure. but that's what was happening there. There were congressmen leaving the floor of the well of the, of the Congress with gas masks on that were underneath, the, underneath their chairs. You can't tell me that this was a surprise to him or something that was unexpected. As horrible as the whole scene was and as it shouldn't have been. If they want to put somebody on trial in the Congress, they ought to put Insurgents USA and John Sullivan on trial. He was there, and I can't believe he was alone. The only difference I saw is the people that were doing this weren't dressed in black from head to toe with riot helmets on, umbrellas in their hands, and body armor. This is a terrible thing that's happening, and no one seemed to care about it before. I'm at a loss. (laughs) Listen, your loss is listen. Your loss is not is not misplaced because we have been watching this take place. There, there has been effectively no pushback on Antifa uh, to any extent. There, there has been almost no pushback. I can't remember a a a large series of arrests or roundups that have taken place. And we were told by Christopher Ray, the FBI director, and, and 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 in some other measures by by other politicians that Antifa is not a group, it's not a club, there's no list of members, it's just an ideology. Well, Al-Qaeda is an ideology too. Right? Uh, uh, Soviet communism was an ideology as well. And it still doesn't excuse the sort of violence that came about on the streets in our cities and in the capital. Do I say Antifa was responsible for this? No, I'm not going to say Antifa was responsible for the riot. Rioters were responsible for the riot. I think you've got uh, you've got enough losers and wackos that wanted to go in there and do damage. Not good Americans who were going out there to express their opinions on the on the election, on the certification of the ballots, on the certification of the electoral college. There are plenty of people that just wanted to lobby and have their voices heard and stand up one last time for for Donald Trump. The people that went in and smashed things, hurt people and destroyed property. That's a criminal act, whatever the ideology is. 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB radio network. Gas is up 18 percent since the election could surpass four dollars a gallon under Biden. Uh, you see what happened, folks. You have been, you've been accustomed, and you became uh, acclimated to the notion of cheap gasoline around the country. Well, now it's starting to change. You know those Keystone XL jobs that Joe Biden just killed. You know the uh, the sucking up to the unaccountable Great Resetters 
there with the United Nations Climate Group and and at the United Nations in general. Yep, yep, yep. You know what's happening here. By the time America gets back to work in traffic jams, gas prices under the Biden administration could be heading to $4 a gallon. Thank you for the new climate regulations. Thank you so much for the folks who voted for this, who went out there and voted for uh, Joseph R. Biden. Uh, this is this is terrific. Uh, that R may end up st- standing not for Robinette, but for, uh, of course, recession. Uh, the president's shutdown of energy mining on federal lands and overseas production cuts. Industry experts believe that as the coronavirus vaccine becomes more available, offices will start to fill up, as will gas stations. But the supply might not be there because of production cutbacks. Joe Biden's new rules and moves overseas to slow production to match low usage. The result could be an oil price trap for the new president. That's according to Steve Coppitz, the managing director of Princeton Energy Advisors. He said uh, Biden has substantial political risk heading into 2022's midterms. He would do well to articulate a more balanced energy package because we may well see gasoline prices above $4 a gallon. And you know what that means. $4 a gallon in America is like $6 a gallon in California and Oregon and Washington and Illinois and New Jersey and New York and Massachusetts. Right. That that if if, if gas in America is four dollars a gallon, the, the gasoline in the Biden voter states, it'll be it'll be way off the charts. Since Election Day, gas and crude oil prices have jumped. The United States gas prices are up 18 percent. Oil prices up nearly 50 percent. Keep killing those jobs, man. Keep killing those energy patch jobs. Keep shutting down the fracking. I guess I mean, I guess we could all just reach out to AOC and say, do you know where we can get some cheap gas? How do we do this? Somebody will undoubtedly somebody will figure out a way to power your car with cannabis. I mean, it's the answer to everything now, apparently. Wayne is in Idaho Falls, Idaho. You are uh, first up. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. I'm a 30-year listener. Um, you're doing a great job, Brett. And uh, thank you, Wayne. Mango Dettos and Mango Prayers to Rush. Rush, we hope you can come back soon. Amen. Uh, we miss you. <laughs> uh, just two quick things. First of all, the idea that Romney, Mitt Romney and the U.S. Senate and other senators have put forward that this trial, this impeachment trial, is good for the nation and will unify us is absolutely ridiculous. I wrote him on email, told himself my, myself um, as if he's listening to me. But uh, he has totally misread. The, this is actually splitting the country wide apart, and I have lost almost all confidence in our Congress and in our Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have friends who have money and influence and who are thinking about leaving the country. Seriously. Oh, jeez. See, we don't we, we don't want to see people leave the country. We need we need great patriots to remain here. But can, can I, I can I can I flip the script on you just a little bit here, Wayne, and ask you a question? Sure. Is it possible that we are going to end up united? United against the power elites in Washington D.C. Is it possible we'll get some unity that way that they never counted on? Well, I hope I hope you're right. And and I told Mr. Snurdly I'd get to the point. The second point is that yes, uh, you know in the 1800s the Whigs um, mm-hmm. lost power and influence because they would not oppose slavery right. and other Southern states' rights. And the Republican Party was born, and of course Abraham Lincoln and and the Whigs eventually disappeared. I think it's time for the Republican Party to disappear, and I think we need a Freedom Party. I don't think it should be called an independent. I think it should be called a freedom party. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to rally around that because it's obvious that the people in power who run the Republican Party are not only against Donald Trump, uh, but they're against um, what we believe in and what we support um, and our values. 
And it, I think it's time to jettison the Republican. And, I, and I've been voting Republican since 1972. Sure. No, I, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I, I, I totally get it. Um, what would what would be the top priority of, of a freedom party? Like what would be a policy that you'd want to see uh, articulated in, in a freedom party? I think the first thing that would be would be um, adherence to the, the, the Bill of Rights and the rule of law. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's obvious that the Democrats um, are and those that are in power uh, are are not in favor of, of the Bill of Rights. I think that would probably be in, in the Constitution. And I think, um, you know, freedom and deregulation, you know, I mean, look at what they're doing to public schools. Biden wants people, to, these kids to go back for a half a day, a week. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. And they want to they want to rule the public school system. They want to, you know, um, no, stay out of our business. Give us the opportunity for life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and basically adopt what Lincoln said, government of the people, by the people and for the people. So that's my my take on it. Great stuff, Wayne. Wonderful comments about Rush. I so appreciate you coming by today and I look forward to speaking with you again down the road at some point. You're a you're a very thoughtful caller. And and it's it's going to require thinking beyond the binary choice, right? Your choice is Nancy Pelosi or Mitt Romney. I mean, and, and I know that they're in two different houses, but the fact of the matter is it's going to require bigger thinking, bigger ideas. One of the geniuses of, of, of Donald Trump when he was running for office back in in 2016, right, 2015 into 2016, Hillary Clinton had all these phone book sized position papers that she was trying to peddle and sell you on. Right. Oh, look at this. I have all these worksheets and position papers and all of this that I've written. I've got ninety five thousand experts. If you go back to the core of how it was that President Trump ran when he was citizen Trump, he, he ran in many ways for the presidency of the United States like somebody would run a very successful mayoral campaign. It was really very basic. It was mocked. Right. Make America great again is a, worth mocking. It's so simple. It's not complicated or sophisticated enough, you know, to, to win somebody over like uh, Tom Friedman or somebody. But but here's the thing. Safe streets, energy independence, border security, jobs and no more bad trade deals that send our uh, our, our, our jobs overseas. Oh, and in addition, we're going to fight the bad guys like ISIS. It was a pretty basic plan. It worked beautifully until covid came a knocking. Plenty more straight ahead. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Radio Network. You see how Lisa Murkowski is saying, uh, essentially, I don't see how anybody could think that uh, Donald Trump could get elected again to the presidency of the United States. See, see Senator Murkowski, uh, Lisa Murkowski, this is this is your fundamental disconnect with actual American people, because American people do see how he, he could be uh, reelected back to the presidency of the United States. Uh, the idea that you would sit there as somebody who is a, a, an elite child of power, which you are. Your your, your father was uh, a very powerful member of the Alaskan uh, political establishment and the Washington political establishment. The idea that you could never see Donald Trump getting reelected was is 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 apparent. That's you're part of you're part of the swamp. You are in the swamp. You are swampy. And uh, I, I say keep doing exactly what you're doing. I, I think you're doing a. Exactly the job that you were called to do, and that is to uh, to protect the status quo, regardless of who's in charge. The status quo must be preserved. Carol is up next. Carol, welcome to the EIB Network. Brett Waterbull in for Rush Limbaugh. Hey, Brett. Um, praying for Rush. Love him. I just wanted to say that um, you nailed it when you said the the policies and the agenda of President Trump are so pro-American and so wonderful for America. 
and I, I just can't understand, and I'm so concerned how how the executive orders just, I mean, one after the other, how that can change so quickly. And um, I think that we need to decide if we're a socialist nation or we're a free market nation. And um, I'm just so concerned about the level of corruption. I think that President Trump gave us a, uh, government corruption 101 really fast. I mean, as just an average American, I think I knew that the government was corrupt at a certain level, but had no idea the layers and layers and layers. So I think that the American people just need a golden nugget of mm-hmm. encouragement that this can be reversed and we can get back to the pro-America, uh, America first agenda and policies and um and we hear a lot of talk and and we're being fed lies and lies sure. and lies and so my question is what do we do what is our plan of action what what do we do okay. to help our congressmen and our senators and um well, get rid of the corruption well look uh, it, it's their job to do oversight and to manage the affairs of state it's our jobs to be uh, awakened uh, American citizens who understand what the challenge is in front of us. Okay, and and yeah. so and so, if the president opened your eyes and opened the eyes of many others, and there are a lot of people who are very suspicious of the behavior of Washington D.C. But let's be honest, this did not begin. This this didn't begin with President Trump. Uh, this this began, and and let's really let's get real about this. This began in 1988 with Rush Limbaugh doing what he did with this program. And yeah. and what Rush Limbaugh did with this program, I, I said this back before the uh, the turn of the year when I was in the first time. What Rush did with this program was he he got Carol in Birmingham and and Brett in Charlotte and Steve uh, in Portland, and we understood at that moment that we were not alone. We weren't crazy for our values and and for our ideas. We were right. We were we we were believers in the free market. We were believers in much of what was promised by the Reagan Revolution. And it was up to us to continue that and to grow that and, and, and make that known. So rather than be demoralized, because that is exactly what the cable channels want. The cable channels want you demoralized and tuning in to their, to their depression and depressing stuff. Don't give in to that. The reason why you want to stay close to, to Rush, to, 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 to this program, is because this is a unique opportunity across 600 stations in this country, tens of millions of people Every single day gathering together in concert, even though we don't see each other, even though we may never meet each other, we are unified. We are unified in believing that this country is is great and it's going to take a lot more than Molly Ball detailing the the great takedown in Time Magazine and the collusion in Time Magazine between the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO and big tech and big media to stop this. Because for every one that they try to stop, 10 will take their place. And that's what we have to remember. You have to continue to connect and reconnect with the people in your life, um, whether it's it's, uh, through a social media platform, perhaps, or, or better yet, in person. And continue this 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 work of of pushing for freedom. The only reason why the statists will win the fight in this country is if we don't push back. And and I just said fight, and I don't want to offend anybody. I'm kidding when I say that. Uh, but but we have to push back at the political levels. 
We, we have to make sure that, that we hold these Congress people to account. They've erected barriers around the Capitol. Well, the phones still work. And we can call those phones. And we can tell them that we don't want to see $4 gas. And we don't want to see socialized medicine. And we don't want to see the Green New Deal. And so the, each of us can do that. Each of us can send an email. Each of us can write a letter. But most importantly, we must never cower from the challenge. The president did it once. We now, you now, they now have to pick up that fight. Because at the end of the day, what are we really striving for? What are we striving for? Um, We're striving for that next generation to come up. And we're striving for those kids right now who are going to be denied potentially another high school graduation opportunity. We lost one last year. Now we're about to lose another one. And, 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 and we're going to lose another college graduation. And you see these kids that, that were born just after 9-11 that went through the mortgage meltdown when they were just in their childhood years and come out to an amazing economy that craters because of a, a Chinese COVID-19 uh, virus that gets spread around the globe. The reality is we have to understand what the stakes are and we have to toughen up. We have to toughen up. We, we have to not sit back and sad sack this. We have to toughen up and understand this is going to be a hard road. They're going to throw everything at us that they can. And if they don't demoralize us and they don't cancel us, then we win. And we will never know because they're never going to admit defeat. But it's only over the time, uh, the period of time that, that will grow from this point forward that we'll know what the result's going to be. And you have to remember that Rush Limbaugh is the original social media. Rush Limbaugh was, was doing this stuff show prepping and interacting on CompuServe before anybody was in an AOL chat room or anything else. And this 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 extended family in the EIB across the fruited plain from north to south and east and west and everywhere worldwide, this this is going to be a group that that is going to be formidable because of the confidence Rush has uh, has instilled in so many uh, of us and so many of the audience. Uh, by the way, um, you can you can certainly go to RushLimbaugh.com and go to the Share Your Stories tab to send Rush good wishes and, uh, 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 you know, prayers and good wishes um, as he continues his fight. It's a treatment week. He's fighting. Uh, he's fighting like the Dickens. And I, I do know that he wants us to, to carry on this fight and, until he gets back here behind the mic and, and, and keep this battle going. Did I say battle? Is battle one of those words? I can't say fight. I can't say battle. What can I say? Struggle? I don't know about struggle. Striving. We'll just keep striving for. Striving is a good word. Striving is a word that uh, Maimon would use. No doubt. He he would strive uh, for, for something. So, so, struggling would be. Is, really? Is, is that on the. Wait, hold on. Let me check the. You know what? You're right. Uh, Bo. Oh, you're right. Uh, it's a, I think what struggling is racist. That's on that. Is that that new? Is that the page we got today in the booklet? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thir- page thirty-six. Yeah, st- down for the struggle. Oh, we can't say we're struggling because down for the struggle is a struggle. We can't struggle though. So we're gonna. Okay, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna let me do this here. Okay, I just checked that one off the. We'll go with striving. We'll do striving until we're called uh, and told otherwise to uh, to alter. I can't believe that we have to self-edit in real time. By the way, just as Americans, I can't believe we have to self-edit. We, we, we have gotten so smart and become so dumb at the same time. But you know what? It was like to say the arc of justice bends. Oh, there's justice happening. 
Guess where the justice is now happening? The justice is now happening in Minneapolis. Oh, so you think you can riot and burn some stuff down and not be held to account? Stick around for this. I'll send you out with a little breeze in your wings and a and a step in your step or a spot in your step, whatever it is. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Radio Network. So the owners of a Minneapolis diner that burned down during the George Floyd protests are suing Mayor Jacob Fry, saying his inaction led to an escalation of violence that cost them their business. This is a huge story. Casey White and Charles Stotts are seeking four and a half million dollars from Fry and the city after their Town Talk Diner and Gastro Pub on East Lake Street was repeatedly targeted by rioters following Floyd's police-involved death on May the 25th. The federal suit alleges that from that day till May 28th, Fry and the city continuously deviated from crowd control policies put in place by the Minneapolis Police Department, the National Guard, and local leaders. It accuses Fry of trying to initially negotiate with and appease the rioters rather than give law enforcement the authority to confront criminal acts with enough force to restore law and order. A primary responsibility of local elected officials is to protect the public, the suit contends. The inaction on the part of Mayor Fry will lead to an increase in violence, or did lead to an increase in violence. So in the early morning of May 28th, rioters ransacked Town Talk, smashing its windows, vandalizing its storefront, and toppling its furniture inside. They boarded up their eatery, hoping to prevent further damage, but rioters descended again onto the street and burned Town Talk to the ground. Couple blamed Fry for the destruction, noting that Town Talk was torched after he made the decision to abandon the Minneapolis Police Department's third precinct, removing officers from the neighborhood and leaving the citizens of Lake Street to defend themselves and their property. So at 3.30 in the morning, the restaurant was set ablaze. Not a single public official, police officer, firefighter, or a member of the Minnesota National Guard was around. It burned to the ground. They are suing this guy. The city attorney, Jim Rowader, issued a staunch defense of Fry, saying the city stands vigorously ready to defend the lawsuit. This is this is just, that guy. Fry is a disgraceful human being. Did you see him dancing in the streets? And, and then they asked him if he would abolish the cops. And he he, he walked he walked away. He walked away. It, it, this this guy was not ready for prime time. I wouldn't put him in charge of a of an ice cream stand. No way. I I tell you, I hope this sets a precedent, and I hope these local officials start getting called on the carpet, and they get uh, they get sued. Called on the carpet. I got to check that one in the book. Uh, Nico is up next in Jefferson, Maryland. Nico, welcome to the program. I'm Brett Whittle. Hey, Brett, great job holding down the fort. Uh, Thank you, sir. My question is, is uh, you know, if uh, Twitter is so concerned about um, you know inciting violence and whatnot with their censorship regime, why is Kathy Griffin's photo? of her holding a decapitated effigy of Trump's head, still on Twitter. It was on there last week. She retweeted it on right before the election, and the Hill covered it on the newspaper. I mean, it's hypocrisy to its highest standard. Sure is. It sure is. And and there's a strong implication there, obviously, that that there's going to be tolerance of of violence aimed in one particular direction, one particular direction only. I appreciate that call, Nico. 
Thanks for uh, checking in. Let me go to Dave next up on uh, South Padre Island, beautiful part of Texas. Dave, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. Brett, thank you for uh, having me on and uh, uh, doing a nice job for Rush and prayers to Rush. Amen. Uh, this is regards to uh, the lady that called in earlier regarding concern on her uh, with her daughter on public school. Yes. Yeah. Well, some advice. I know back in the nineties, uh, right before our youngest was starting school, it's about six. I told him. I said, "Well, you're getting ready to go into the public school system." I said. I said, they're going to tell you to be a sponge and soak up everything. And I'm going to tell you, don't be a sponge. Mm-hmm. Be a sieve and filter out the BS because there's going to be plenty of it. Huge. Huge told, lesson. second thing I told him was, at some point in time, they're going to tell you we are a democracy. And I'm going to tell you we're not a democracy. We're a yeah. republic. That's right. And he came home a couple of years later. He remembered that. He came home and he said uh, he was madder than a hornet. I said, what's the matter? He goes, well, they gave us a brochure and on the first page, it said we're a democracy. I said, so what did you do? And he said, well, I did what you told me to. I asked the teacher to cite the Pledge of Allegiance. And I stopped her when she got, when she got to into the republic, which it stands. And you know what she did? What'd she do? She told him to sit down and shut up. Oh, wow. Not surprising. Not surprising. No. <laughs> you're, you're right, though. Look, your lesson is exactly right on. You have to be a civ. you got to filter out the stuff that's, that's just incongruous with the with the way things uh, should be. Uh, you don't just take it all in and accept it at face value. My gosh. And for anybody who thinks we're a democracy, remember the old adage, a democracy are three wolves sitting around with a lamb trying to figure out what's for dinner. They're going to vote. Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. Show. And I am Brett Witterbull in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh program. Uh, wonderful to be here. So I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff that's going on out there uh, across the country and the thing that is so striking to me is the the way you have the Biden administration pretending like everything is just like totally normal and regular and going according to order. He's going to the National Institute of Health. He's going to do a do a media availability at some point. And, and yet you, you've got you've got Jen, Jen Psaki out there. And I mentioned this earlier in the program. I don't have time to play it. I don't want to play it. But Jen Psaki out there. Uh, just saying everything is totally cool and everything is normal, except for the fact that you have got an explosion of illegal immigrants that are making a run for the Texas border. It's a fact. And the Biden administration is doing an incredibly unconvincing job of dissuading them. Finally, uh, yesterday, Jen Psaki, the spokes the spokeswoman for the for the White House, uh, came out and said, listen, we don't want any of you coming up to the border because, you know, if you come to the border, we're not going to take you in because, you know, we have a COVID uh, problem. We have COVID-19. We have the coronavirus. So we're not going to give you any asylum. Yeah. Nice to tell them now after they've traveled all the way up across Mexico on the beast, you know, on that train that they ride. I, I mean, it, it's incredibly brutal and unfair to the poorest of these desperate people to set them on that mission to come on up to the American border to turn them away. After all, what did they think was going to happen when Biden got elected? Thanks to Mike and Brian and Bo and everybody else for having me in today. It's been a blast. I'm Brett Witterville. It's the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Radio Network. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.